Hey, it's Tim back for Wrong Sports, and this one is going to be a long episode, as you can see from the time, and that's because I'm going to be switching it up in my deep dives. Usually I go over losing streaks. Now I'm going to be going over one of the more famous winning streaks in college football history. Now, whenever you think of college football rivalries, you might think about Army-Navy. Well, Army and Navy is still a huge game on the college football calendar, and back during the World War II times, this was the biggest game of the college football calendar, actually of the sports calendar, and it was mostly because both of those teams were good, but really, it was because Army was so good, and that's what I'll be covering in this deep dive today. But before I get to my deep dive of Army football and their awesome winning streak during World War II, make sure you check me out on Patreon, patreon.com slash wrongsports. I'm going to be putting up an exclusive video there. Check me out on Twitter at sportswronged and like this video, share this video, and please subscribe to the channel. Ring the bell as well. But again, thank you so much for hanging out with me on this hour-long journey. Now to start, I'm going to have to give you a little history lesson on Army football, except I'm not going to start all the way at the beginning. I'm going to start in 1941 with the hiring of Earl Blake. Earl Blake played football first at Miami of Ohio from 1915 to 1917, then went into World War I to Army and played there, becoming a third-team All-American. Blake wouldn't leave football and instead be an assistant at his alma mater, Miami of Ohio, after the war, before heading back to Army to be an assistant there from 1927 to 1933. Blake made himself one of the top assistants in the country towards the early 1930s, and that allowed him to get his first head coaching job at Dartmouth in 1934. Blake showed that he was a top-notch coach as he had a winning record in each of his first seven seasons at Dartmouth. After seven seasons, Blake had a record of 45-15-4 before he got a call from the Army to come back and coach the football team. Blake got to work in 1941, taking over a team that had two losing records and started with a 4-0-1 record, including tying number 6 Notre Dame in New York City, and Army would be 5-3-1 in his first year, then improved to 6-3 in 1942, but lose to Notre Dame and Navy by shutouts. Blake was looking to make his team better, but it was tough with the war going on, and just after the 1942 season, the USA would lower the draft age from 21 to 18. This was a major shift as many college athletes were now eligible and would be drafted, which would deplete many rosters from schools all around the country. As many as 100 colleges around the country, with some big schools like Stanford, Alabama, Tennessee, would suspend their team during the wartime, but the West Point football team was actually going to be on the chop block, as the famed General George C. Marshall wrote a letter to the West Point superintendent saying he liked football as a morale positive, but that during the war, West Point should have their efforts directed away from football and, you know, towards the war effort. But for whatever reason, Marshall never sent that letter, and the cadets football would end up playing in 1943. But remember, I mentioned a lot of teams had to suspend their program? Well, dozens of them would actually be saved due to a new Navy program called the V-5 and the V-12 program, which which was a prospective officer program that allowed a lot of varsity athletes to go to another school, train to be an officer, play football or play another sport at that school, and also save them from going right into war, at least immediately. This improved a lot of teams in 1943 and also created a lot of service programs, which I went over in a three-part video. You can actually check it out. I'll put a link above so you can hear more about those service programs that I'll be mentioning throughout the uh, next three years or so. So since the V5 and V12 programs saved a lot of athletics on campuses during the 1940s, 1942 and 1943 seasons, something else made Army a better football program and also a hotspot for transfers and high school players to want to go to. The reason was that if you were a football player aged 18 or above, you really wanted to go to Army right now because you could train to be a career Army officer, which would save you from going right into battle. And if you did graduate while war was still going on, you wouldn't initially go to the battlefields. This wouldn't be a hot topic for players until the 1942 season because, again, the thick of World War II was going on and no one knew how it was going to end up and you kind of wanted to save your own life at this point. Because of that, Army would gain a lot of transfers. One of those big ones I'll be mentioning throughout the next couple of years was kicker Dick Walterhouse. Another thing that made Army a hotspot for athletes was that the weight and height requirements were out of the window when Blake was hired. Blake Blake initially really didn't want to take the Army job due to the height and weight requirements that were put on the books in 1931. The requirements were that no cadet could weigh more than 
eight pounds unless they were six foot four or taller. And no one under six feet tall could weigh more than 176 pounds. That sounds crazy for a football team right now, especially in college. Maybe a high school team, but most of them have some players over 208 pounds. Blake came in and he got those requirements changed to allowing players to weigh as much as 228 pounds, which again, still sounds pretty low, especially to weights nowadays. But the change to 228 pounds was only allowed as long as your height and weight wasn't as a result of obesity, but of athletic build because Army officers had to be in top physical conditioning. Going into the 1943 season, Army had a good dose of transfers, as well as a good nucleus from the previous season being Tom Lombardo and Doug Kenna. They were running the ball as well as being quarterbacks, shuffling in and out. They also had eventual All-American Kaz Mizlinski on the line. 1943 started great as they were 5-0. They beat Columbia and Yale, but then they tied Penn before meeting number one Notre Dame in New York City. And the 1943 Notre Dame team might be one of the best teams ever, as they beat pretty much every top team this year, including Army, 26 to nothing. And Army would be 7-1-1 going into their finale versus Navy, got shut out 13 to nothing. And Army improved every year under Blake, but they still couldn't get past Notre Dame and Navy. But coming off that seven-win season for the first time in the 1940s, Blake was looking at the 1944 season being his best team, as he was bringing back a lot of starters, as as well as bringing in a lot of great new players. And I'll get to those new ones in just a moment, but let's go back over into who is coming back to this team. One of those was the quarterback halfback, but mostly quarterback. His name was Doug Kenna. Kenna was from Jackson, Mississippi, and originally went to Ole Miss during his freshman year in 1941, but then when war broke out, he received an appointment from West Point and was on his way to New York. Kenna would be a halfback and also sometimes quarterback during the 1943 season, sharing time with another player that was coming back, and also being named captain this year in Tom Lombardo. Lombardo was born and raised in St. Louis, and he was also chosen MVP of the city of St. Louis in football in 1940. He would graduate and eventually matriculate to the local college St. Louis University and play basketball there, but not football as there was no team playing there in 1941. But the minimal athletics he did do got him noticed by a colonel at West Point, and by the end of 1942 spring semester, with World War II fully underway, the colonel at West Point played an important role in getting Lombardo to West Point like giving Lombardo a glowing recommendation, which was one of the main things you needed to get into West Point. Lombardo did play, but he wasn't really like a big-time starter. Again, he was mostly sharing time with Doug Kenna and about uh, six other running backs. But he was more well-known for being one of the most stand-up and well-respected players and also people at West Point. Because of that, he was elected captain before the 1944 season. Playing in front of those two were returners to the offensive line, like John Green. He played at Tulane in 1942, before getting a much-needed appointment to West Point in 1943. Along with Green playing on offense and defense and coming back for his senior season was Dale Hall. Hall was an All-American in basketball twice and ended up coaching at Army about a dozen years later, but one of the biggest returning starters that not a lot of people knew about until 1944 was Glenn Davis. Davis was from California and played along with his brother Ralph in high school, and it would carry on into college as they both went to West Point. Glenn was the more talented one, and it showed as he had some big runs in 1943, but he ran into a lot of academic troubles as he couldn't get used to the academic rigors and the military rigors at the school. During and after the 1943 season, he really got the academics under control and would end up coming into the 1944 season as a full-fledged starter. But going back to Blake, he was really big, not only on getting those weight requirements changed, but also recruiting all over the country. For that, he needed to hire some great assistants, and he would do that as he would hire Andy Gustafson and also Bob Woodruff. Both of them would also become great coaches in their own right. Another assistant coach he would hire was Herman Hickman. He was a rather unknown line coach in the South, but he was more well-known for recruiting great talent and also one that knew where to find great talent, and he was the one that ended up finding and pushing to get Felix Doc Blanchard to West Point. Blanchard was out of South Carolina, and he would be a star throughout high school, taking his team in, in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi to an undefeated record in 1941. During his high school years, he was recruited by Army, but he didn't want
want to go there because he didn't think he could pass the entrance exam, so he went to University of North Carolina, where Jim Tatum was coaching there at the time, and he was also Blanchard's mother's cousin. Blanchard wouldn't play varsity in 1942 due to freshmen not being able to play varsity during that time, but he wouldn't really see too much playing time anyway because there weren't too many freshman teams. After the 1942 freshman season, he would enlist, but instead go to New Mexico where he would work in a chemical warfare unit and never be shipped overseas. Blanchard, however, wasn't really a big fan of this, so he called home to his father, who was a renowned doctor and also a former football player in South Carolina and Mississippi, and his father would call Hickman for advice. Hickman's advice was easy, get Blanchard to West Point. The only thing that the Blanchards would have to do, though, would be to get a congressman to co-sign Blanchard into West Point. Fortunately, the elder Blanchard knew of a congressman who would co-sign on, and Felix Doc Blanchard was into West Point just in time for the 1944 season. This could have gone down differently, as at University of North Carolina, Blanchard could have stayed at University of North Carolina after the 1942 season due to the V-12 program coming to the UNC campus. This would have allowed Blanchard to finish his studies and play football there, but he would also be trained as a Navy officer, so this would mean that Blanchard could have been playing on a Navy team or the Navy squad itself against Army in the 1944 and 45 seasons. Along with Blanchard, Army would also get a talented runner and quarterback in Arnold Tucker. He would start more in 1945, but he would play a lot in 1944. Along with Tucker, they also got Barney Poole, who was a talented end who played on a freshman squad at UNC with Blanchard, and both were from Mississippi, so it gave Blanchard a friend to room with. So with that influx of new talent, Blake would think of a new idea that really isn't crazy right now, but was pretty inventive at the time, and that was to use two different squads. He would have a squad of upperclassmen, and the other being made up of newer players. While one was playing the offense, the other would play defense, and it would rotate every quarter. This allowed his squad to be a little more rested throughout the season, and it allowed for all of these talented players to get on the field. Alright, so there you go. Broke down pretty much all of the big players on this 1944 season, so let's finally get to the 1944 season. It would start with a four-game stretch at home. First, it started with the University of North Carolina, and UNC was a totally different squad in 1944, as they nearly lost their entire squad from the year before, which went 6-3, and three, as most of them were V-12 players and either graduated or were shipped off. Plus, this game had more of a story due to Poole and Blanchard playing on the freshman team only two years earlier. And this game started, and it was totally lopsided, as UNC couldn't score or really do anything at all, as they only had 14 yards rushing and 21 passing yards the entire game. Meanwhile, Army was running all over the place, and one of those players running all over the place was a new full-fledged starter in Glenn Davis, as he had three touchdowns in this game and 125 rushing yards. Blanchard, meanwhile, didn't really do all that much rushing, only carrying the ball four times for under 20 yards, but he was averaging almost 20 yards on each of his kickoff returns, and he did manage to score on a lateral from Barney Poole late in the game. The final was 46 to nothing, and UNC would go on to be 1-7-1, getting shut out in six games, so it was clear of this team's depleted talent roster. Army would go into their second game versus Brown, and it would be on a hot October day as only 6,000 people would show up to see more Army domination. And due to their domination, Davis and Blanchard only played half the game. And even with half the game, Davis still managed to score three times again. One on a rushing touchdown, one on a passing touchdown, and then one on a punt return touchdown. Blanchard, meanwhile, was still getting used to the offense. He did only have eight carries, but he averaged eight yards per carry. The final was 59-7, to and the papers across the country started to take more note of Blake's team, and especially Davis. Keeping it going with an interesting game as Pitt would come to town, and Pitt knew of Blanchard and Davis quite well, because Pitt's coach, Clark Shaughnessy, saw them both years earlier, and told Blake that Davis and Blanchard would both be starters on any college team in high school, pretty much as a 17-year-old. Another reason was that Blake started to use the T formation for his offense, which was perfected by Shaughnessy. Shaughnessy's prediction was pretty much fulfilled in this game, as Army scored 69 points 
points, and Blanchard finally showed off this week as he scored two times on a passing touchdown from a Lombardo and also an interception return for a touchdown, and he only played 22 minutes in this game. Davis, meanwhile, had 161 rushing yards on nine carries. That's insane. Also, he completed two passes for 118 yards, and he only scored one somehow. It's just insane to think of the stats these guys were putting up already. Pitt obviously couldn't stop them, as Army had over 600 yards of total offense, which was unheard of at the time, and they won 69-7. to so Game 4 is kind of like when Bama plays an FCS team late in the year, because Army played the Coast Guard in this game, and Blanchard would only play 12 minutes in this game, but he would still end up scoring two times. Davis scored twice too, but he only played half the game. One player that did get a lot of time on the field though in this game was Dick Walterhouse, as he came out for 11 extra points, which was a record at the time, and he kicked 10 through the uprights. Army still managed to have 443 yards in this game rushing, 157 passing yards, which is also insane, for another 600-yard performance, and this was mostly with reserves and backups because, like I mentioned, they didn't play Davis or Blanchard after the half, and they still thrashed the Coast Guard 76 to nothing. So now Army's 4-0 after pretty much beating down every single opponent, and they would now have to travel for their first game. It wasn't really an away game as much as they went to the polo grounds in New York City to play Duke. Duke was coming off an 8-1 Southern Conference title season, and also their football and basketball coach was back on the sidelines this season to coach him and Eddie Cameron. Duke's roster wasn't as depleted as other teams, but they still couldn't beat some of those top teams like Navy and Penn, so they were 1-3 coming into this game. Duke played Army tough because Army wouldn't score until the second quarter on a 53-yard run by Davis, but Walterhouse missed the extra point. That would be significant because Duke would score before the half, and it gave Army the first time they would have a deficit going into the half. The deficit didn't last long, though, as Army would abandon the pass and run for three touchdowns. One by Blanchard and one by Dale Hall. He didn't really have many, so I just wanted to mention him. Duke didn't score the rest of this game, and Army managed to win 26. 7-7, mostly with that breakout third quarter. After their first tough win, Army would pretty much have a week off of sorts as they played Villanova. Villanova was 5-3 last year, but they lost to Army 27 to nothing, and their roster was even more depleted due to their V12 players leaving. Villanova still managed to somehow come into this game 4-1, but they were mostly wins over much smaller schools, and also in all of those wins, Villanova only scored 14 points, so they weren't winning by much. Blake saw how Villanova was, and he knew this was pretty much going to be an easy win. He knew it was going to be so easy that he didn't even stay for the game, as he left the day before with Hickman and a few other coaches to watch and scout the Navy-Notre Dame game, which was happening on the same day. So without Blake and Hickman and a few other coaches, Andy Gustafson, the backfield coach, would end up coaching this game. Also, some other people not playing in this game would be Doc Blanchard, as he sprained his knee the previous week, so he wouldn't play, but Glenn Davis would play, and he would score three times. The game had nine-minute quarters in the second half because Army was winning so badly, but it didn't really matter because Dick Walterhouse still had to kick 11 extra points as Army cruised to an easy 83-0 win, and they were now 6-0. But Blake was back on campus after the Villanova game, and there was a reason, because the last three games would pretty much be their toughest three games. First, they were traveling to New York City again, but instead of going to the polo grounds, they were going to Yankee Stadium to play the team that Blake was scouting the previous week in number 5 Notre Dame. Notre Dame was a very different team from the previous year, as they didn't have their national championship coach Frank Leahy. Along with a new coach, they also lost many of their V12 players and their Heisman winner Angelo Bertelli. But they still had a strong team, with two future All-Americans, as well as a future NFLer in Frank Danswitz. With all the changes on the team, Notre Dame started strong with a 5-0 record and scoring over 20 points per game. But then they ran into Navy, and Navy crushed them the previous week. And even though Notre Dame wasn't the same team from the previous year, it didn't matter to Army because they had to beat Notre Dame. They hadn't beaten them since 1931, and they were shut out the previous two years. The game would be played in front of a sold-out crowd at Yankee Stadium with 76,000 in attendance, and it wasn't much of a game. Notre Dame won the toss, and Army sent out Blanc 
Blanchard to kick the ball, and he did so, out of the end zone, putting Notre Dame at their own 20. The game was Army domination pretty much from that point, as they scored three touchdowns with one passing and one rushing by Doug Kenna. Along with that, Kenna also intercepted a pass, and then Blanchard intercepted two passes. In the second quarter, Glenn Davis got into the action by intercepting a Notre Dame pass, and then scoring shortly thereafter, and they did all of this before halftime, by the way, and the score at halftime was 33 to nothing. At halftime, the 2,500 cadets were making a roar while the Notre Dame fans were silent and some were leaving at this point. The second half was pretty much more of the same, as Army had pretty much all of their reserves in by the fourth quarter, but Glenn Davis still managed to score again after an interception return for a touchdown. Army kept intercepting passes all the way through the end of the game, as they intercepted Notre Dame eight times in this game. The final score was 59 to nothing, and it was the most points that Army had scored on Notre Dame in the last five contests combined. Army was now 7-0, and Glenn Davis had 12 touchdowns through this season through seven games and had 27 total since he started playing at Army last year. Their second-to-last game of the season involved Army heading out of New York and going to Philly to play Penn. And this game was significant, as the Army-Penn game from 1940 was the reason that Blank was hired. The reason was because Penn crushed Army by more than 40 points in this game, and Blake was a rising coach at Dartmouth, but Army had an unwritten rule that only Army officers at the school could coach the team. Blake was obviously not an Army officer as he was working at Dartmouth, but there was another rule that was rewritten for him, and he was hired, and Blake would eventually rise to the ranking of Colonel at the Academy. So the game didn't start like other games, Games as it started quite slow as Penn kept Army far away from the goal line throughout most of the first quarter, but also Penn couldn't do anything either. The tie would be broken when Max Miner and Army would run for a 68-yard touchdown, but then Penn would rebound after they scooped up a fumble and run it back for a touchdown. And that was all that Penn did as Army took over and would score 49 straight points and run away with this game. Blanchard and Davis wouldn't make their presence known until the second and third quarter, as Blanchard would score in the second, and he would score twice in the third, while Glenn Davis scored once in each quarter. And Army were having their reserves in for most of the fourth quarter, as the game ended 62-7. Army was now 8-0, and they were now ranked the number one team, with many people calling them the greatest team ever. And Army would show that they were the best team as they would face the second best team this year, at least in the rankings, in Navy. Navy was coming into this game 6-2 as they lost to North Carolina pre-flight, which was one of the better service teams this year, who had tons of players with college football experience and also having to play against a defense, which was coached by Bear Bryant. Navy's other loss was a bigger upset as they lost to Georgia Tech, which was another team that benefited from having V5 and V12 students at their school, now, Navy's wins were pretty much over the same teams that Army beat, like Notre Dame, Duke, and also Penn. Navy was led this season by Oscar Hagberg. He was a former Navy player and assistant that stepped in to coach the team during the war, while he was also commanding submarines. And Navy was like Army in that they gained a lot of really good players from other schools looking to avoid the draft, one of those being All-American tackle Don Whitmire who played at Bama before the war, and who was famous from the 1943 Army-Navy game as he started a few fights during that game. Whitmire blocked the running back and also another All-American, Bobby Jenkins, as well as a future Olympian, Clyde Scott. With Navy having three All-Americans playing and Army having four, this game consisted of over 60% of the All-American selections this season, and the game like last year had some wartime travel restrictions, so they played it at home base, except this time they played it at Navy's home field in Baltimore. And since this game was being played in Baltimore in late November, this game was cold, and it also had some snowfall as well and the cold and wet grass contributed to some injuries that happened early in this game. One was by the Navy running back and All-American Bobby Jenkins, who was coming in this game hurt anyway, as he had a hurt toe, and then he took a hit from two Army players early in this game, and he was out for pretty much the entire rest of the game. 
That injury and the field conditions slowed down both teams as neither team got past the 50 until the second quarter. The scoring would eventually come in the second quarter after Army intercepted a Navy pass. It would only take a few plays before Army used a fake handoff to Glenn Davis and instead went to Dale Hall who ran it in and made it 6-0. The rest of the first half was a brutal game with many hits and injuries as another Navy All-American, their tackle, Don Whitmire, got injured. The Navy line was supposed to be the best, and actually better than Army, so an injury only helped Army more in this game. Army got a safety early in the third quarter, but then Navy went on a 73-yard drive to cut the score down to 9-7. But after that, Army, and especially Davis and Blanchard, took over with Davis starting with an interception in the fourth quarter before Blanchard was given the ball and he went inside and broke through the Navy line for his first touchdown of the game to make it 16-7. The game was further out of reach when Davis took a carry from the 31-yard line, faked a Navy player, ran around a few others, and then went for the touchdown to make it 23-7. There were only minutes left and Navy couldn't answer, so Army won and completed their perfect season in style. Now, Army was not the only undefeated team this season as Ohio State went 9-0 and they also had the Heisman winner Les Horvath on the team. But Army had an outstanding scoring advantage as they outscored teams 56-4 while Ohio State scored just about half of what Army did. Glenn Davis this season had some amazing numbers. He only had 58 rushing attempts this season but he scored on 14 of them. He would also score on six touchdowns through the air so he had 20 this season. Blanchard, meanwhile, only did half of what Davis did, but also he's new to the team. He still managed to score nine touchdowns with six rushing and three receiving, as well as average five and a half yards per carry. The team would lose some players after the 1944 season due to them graduating and going off to war. Doug Kenna, one of Army's quarterbacks, was recruited by the general, George Patton, to coach teams in occupied Germany after the war. Other quarterback was Tom Lombardo, who was also the captain of this team. After the war, he would be shipped off to Japan, as well as also Korea, for the next six years or so. Unfortunately, though, Lombardo was looking like he was going to be a lifer in the Army, but then he was killed in battle in the Korean War in 1950. Lombardo's death in battle was unfortunate. He is well remembered for being one of the most outstanding cadets at Army during this time. He was captain on this team, so just a fantastic player, so that's why I wanted to make sure I mentioned Lombardo. But even though the team was losing some great talent, they were getting some great talent. One of those was getting Joe Steffi. He was from Tennessee, and he went to the Rose Bowl in January of 1945, and instead of being potentially shipped off, he went to West Point. Along with Steffi increasing their line, they also got another player from the South to make their amazing backfield just a little bit better. The new addition was from Mississippi State, and it was halfback Tom Shorty McWilliams, who was not a short halfback at all, as he was six foot three. but he was given that name as a joke. On the field, though, he wasn't a joke at all. As he was so good in 1944 with Mississippi State, he got some Heisman votes. Hickman managed to talk McWilliams into coming to West Point with a ton of talent, and coming into 1945, the backfield would have a new quarterback in Arnold Tucker. He was going to be running the offense, and he could hand off to now either Blanchard, Davis, or McWilliams, three Heisman contenders in the same backfield. But before the 1945 season could start, the war ended, as Japan would surrender finally in August, and with Germany's surrender a few months before that, this allowed college-age men to not have to worry about fighting overseas. Another thing it did was end some of these service teams and also have some of these men that were on campus either come back home or potentially go to another school. But Army would start the 1945 season versus a service team, the Army Air Force squad that was made up of former college and professional players. Along with most of the starters having pro football experience, they were also bigger and older. The Army Air Force squad didn't really play a full schedule, and this team was mostly put together hastily in the summer, so they figured playing football was a good idea, so why not start it with the best team in the nation? They all knew how good Blake's Army team was, and it showed quickly, with Glenn Davis sprinting past everyone for an 85-yard touchdown to start. 
Then Davis would score again in the second quarter on a 45-yard run. And again, he scored both of these touchdowns running on the outside, further promoting his nickname. Davis would also help on another score as he threw a touchdown pass in the second half to Mr. Inside, Mr. Blanchard, for his only touchdown of the game. Meanwhile, Army's new running back, Shorty McWilliams, scored in the second half and proved he was another weapon on the team. The Army Air Force squad didn't really have a coach, and again, this was just a makeshift squad, so they didn't really do much in this game. They only had 45 yards rushing, and they only got to the Army 32-yard line, losing 32 to nothing, and Army started this season with now a 10-game winning streak. Next up was Wake Forest, which was a team that went 8-1 the year before, but they were missing pretty much most of their roster from the year before, and they were only returning 12 players from that 8-1 team. Blake didn't even play Davis and Blanchard more than half of this game, but both still got in the end zone, with Davis scoring on a 65-yard run and Blanchard scoring on an interception return for a touchdown. But even though Davis and Blanchard weren't the stars, Shorty McWilliams would be the star, as he would score twice on two runs of 12 yards and 78 yards, and it added to Army's rushing attack, which had 443 yards, and they won 54 to nothing. But after those two preseason games of sorts, Army would go on the road next, traveling only an hour to New York City to play in Yankee Stadium against Michigan. Now this was a new team for Army to face, and over 62,000 people showed up to see it. Michigan had Fritz Chrysler coaching them, and I talked a little bit about him in my Chicago Discontinued video, and I'll put a link above to that. But he was coaching pretty much a brand new team for Michigan this year, as he didn't have any V5 or V12 students anymore. Half of his team was pretty much freshman, and he had a few 17-year-old freshmen playing as well. Along with that, a majority of his players playing were under 200 pounds. To combat his team's inexperience and their weight disadvantage, Michigan would use a two-platoon system like Army did, and it did work out for them throughout the first quarter and most of the second quarter, but then eventually Army would wear them out with Blanchard running through the Michigan line and just wearing them out enough for McWilliams to score the first touchdown. Then Blanchard finally would blow through the Michigan line for a 60-yard touchdown to make it 14 to nothing at half, and it wasn't looking too bad for the young Michigan team, as Army was making mistakes by fumbling away long drives. Michigan, though, would get to within seven after their first touchdown in the third quarter, but then Army would continue to run Davis, Blanchard, and McWilliams non-stop until they didn't fumble away a drive and Blanchard would score again to make it 21-7, and then Davis would put the final nail in this win with a fourth quarter touchdown to make it 28-7. Even though this game was the lowest scoring output for Army, it was mostly due to the fumbles because Blanchard and Davis combined ran for over 300 yards, with Davis running for 190 yards on 19 carries, and Blanchard running for over 160 yards with 8.5 yards per carry. Just insane what these two guys were doing. Mr. Inside, Mr. Outside, and Coach Blake were coming home to play another interesting after-war service team. This was called the Melville PT Boats Team. The team consisted of veterans from the Pacific Theater that trained or were training at the training center in New England. The team was coached by future Boston Patriots coach Mike Holovac, and the team was made up of players with college experience and, like their first opponent, a team with some pro players as well. Blank didn't take this makeshift team serious as he played his second team in the first quarter, giving the All-Stars some rest. The rest didn't last all of the first quarter, as Melville PT would score two touchdowns and take an early 13-0 lead. Blank would immediately rush his first team in, as this was the first time Army had a disadvantage this early and a 13-point disadvantage this early. And as soon as Davis, Blanchard, and McWilliams got on the field, that was it for Melville. As Davis and Blanchard would score four touchdowns in the second quarter, two by each of them. Blanchard would have two short touchdown runs and two long runs by Davis. After the half, Army continued the offense as Blanchard and Davis would score one more time again, and Army would gain 570 total yards in this game, with over 500 yards on the ground, and holding Melville to under 200 yards, and this team pretty much did nothing after the third quarter. Next up was a team that Army was used to facing as they were facing Duke in another game in New York City at the Polo Grounds. This year they had less V5 and V12 students, and they were coming into this game 3-1, which was different than last year. Most sports bettors and writers, and even Duke's coach Eddie Cameron, thought that they would need to play as good as last year to even stay in this game. 
Unfortunately, they didn't play that good, and they didn't stay in this game, as McWilliams scored within the first few minutes, and then they would take a 28 to nothing lead at half. By the end of the game, five Army players had scored, and it was a 48 to 13 final. Davis scored on a short touchdown run and also threw a touchdown pass to Blanchard in the second half, and Blanchard would score on a touchdown pass and also a 36-yard run. This team still managed to run for 594 yards and pass for over 190 yards, which is, again, insane. And after that insane game, they would be ranked number one in the nation, and they would also gain the nickname they are now called, the Black Knights, due to their dark jerseys by the New York Sun newspaper. The next week, Army would play Villanova, but Blank would again treat Nova the same way he did last year by not attending the game, and again, instead, he went to the Notre Dame-Navy game, and again, he left Andy Gustafson behind to coach the team. Villanova this year did have some V12 players remaining, but unfortunately, many of those players had injuries by this point of the season, so their depth was an issue in this game. And by telling you that, you could probably expect what happened in this game, as Davis and Blanchard were starting, and they scored scored four touchdowns in the first quarter. Davis would run for two short runs and throw for one touchdown to Blanchard, who also ran for another 35-yard touchdown. They did all this in about 11 minutes of the game and were replaced and never came back into the game, as Gustafson played his second and third teamers the rest of this game, and the final was 54 to nothing. The stats were incredible again, as Army had 402 yards on the ground and 104 passing yards. They kept Villanova to only 25 total yards. This could have been a lot worse. Army was now 6-0 and would have to go to New York City to Yankee Stadium to play Notre Dame. And even though this game was only an hour drive for Army, Notre Dame was pretty much the home team in this game. This was due to tons of Irish Americans living in New York City, and Notre Dame fans were at this game in full force as this game had over 74,000 fans show up. Notre Dame this year was young, and they had a new coach again as Hugh DeVore, a former Notre Dame player, came in to coach and was coaching a younger Notre Dame team that wouldn't get their Heisman talent back until the next year. But they still managed to be unbeaten coming into this game, only tying Navy the previous week. Plus, they only gave up 22 points in those six games, while scoring over 30 points per game. The game started slow, with Army's offense only really turning it on in the second quarter, but when they did, they did a lot, with Davis scoring on three rushing touchdowns and also caught a touchdown pass. Meanwhile, Blanchard scored on a short run, and then on an interception return in the third quarter, they accounted for six touchdowns out of seven scored in this game and Shorty McWilliams would get the last touchdown in this 48 to nothing win. So now Army has 16 in a row and would have to travel to Philly to play Penn, who this year were again much different than their 1944 team, as they only had 12 returning starters from the previous year, but they benefited by getting over two dozen World War II veterans returning home looking to finish their college degrees, and they still had eligibility. One of these players that Penn managed to snag was a future football great in Chuck Benderek. The legendary two-way player in the NFL was one of those World War II veterans playing on this team and led Penn to a 5-1 record and a number 6 ranking. Penn's only loss was to Navy, but it was by 7 points. So like Notre Dame, Penn was coming close in their loss to Navy and showed to sports writers that Penn maybe had a chance for his Army? Maybe? Well, unfortunately that wasn't the case, and it showed pretty early as Army had over 520 yards of total offense, both Glenn Davis and Doc Blanchard had three touchdowns apiece, with Blanchard catching one touchdown and running for two, while Davis rushed for all three of his, as well as completing a few passes. The final was 61 to nothing, which is just an absolute pounding for a number one team to do to a top 10 team, and now Army had their 17th in a row and would take Thanksgiving off before a December 1st matchup in Philly against Navy. Navy and Army in 1945 was set up to be the best and the biggest game of the year, and maybe of the 20th century. This was the first time that the game was played in Philly since the war broke out, and it would be played at the enormous Philadelphia Municipal Stadium. The stadium was capable of seating 100,000 spectators. This game would have over 100,000 fans in attendance, as well as the president, Harry Truman. Navy was coming into this game unbeaten at 7-0-1, with three shutouts and never giving up more than seven points in 
any of their games. The game was looking to be a battle as Navy had an offensive and defensive line averaging over 200 pounds and was bigger than Army's line. The game, however, started quick and was over before Harry Truman could switch sides, which is usually what the president does. He sits on one side in the first half and then switches over in the second half. Unfortunately, it didn't really matter because Army would score in their first drive by Blanchard, who would score again a few minutes later, followed by Davis on the next possession, and Army was up 20 to nothing. The second quarter was slow, but Navy would eventually score before the half, and it was only 20-7 when the second half started. Blanchard showed off his defensive skills by intercepting the Navy quarterback for his third touchdown to make it 26-7. But then after Glenn Davis threw a rare interception, it led to Navy's touchdown to keep it close at 26-13. That was the closest it got, as Glenn Davis would end it with an interception return for a touchdown for his second touchdown of the game and the final was 32 to 13. Army only passed the ball twice, but that was all they needed because Davis and Blanchard combined for 174 yards and all five touchdowns in this game. After the season, Blanchard was voted to be the Heisman winner. Blanchard this year averaged 7.1 yards per carry with 722 rushing yards. This may be disputed though. Four catches for 166 yards and had a total of 19 touchdowns, two on defense. Meanwhile, Glenn Davis could have won the Heisman too because he was the leading rusher on the team with over 900 rushing yards, plus he had 18 touchdowns. Both Davis and Blanchard were consensus All-Americans, along with most of their linemen, four of them in fact, being Tex Coulter, Jack Green, Al Nemitz, and Hank Foldberg. This gave Army more than half of the All-American team as again, only 11 were picked and Army had six of them. But after the season, it was clear that the war was over and also some cadets were looking for a way out of the academy since the only reason they were going to the academy was to avoid war and there was no war anymore. One of those players looking to leave was Shorty McWilliams. He was the third leading rusher on the team in 1945 and averaged eight yards per carry with eight touchdowns. But now that the war was over, he was looking to go back to Mississippi State. McWilliams would ask to resign from the academy but was denied at first because Army found out about the financial offer made to McWilliams to get him back to Mississippi. Mississippi State coaches fought back on the financial offer and asked Army to produce information on it, which Army could not do, thus McWilliams was allowed to leave. So the loss of McWilliams was pretty big, but he wasn't the only one to leave this all-star team or to graduate as two of their All-American linemen from last season, Al Nemitz and Jack Green, would not be on the field in 1940. 46. To replace those two linemen, Army would make Bill Yeoman as the new starter, and he would be more well-known later as the longtime coach of Houston. Another loss was their kicker, and also sometimes a running back, Richard Walterhouse. He converted 90 of 114 extra points, which was a pretty good conversion rate for the 1940s. But even without their kicker and a few All-American linemen and McWilliams, the 1946 Army Black Knights would still be strong, with Arnold Tucker at QB, along with Dave Davis and Blanchard and a strong line that still had three All-Americans on it. So now that the war was over, the 1946 season was going to be pretty different with a lot of new students on campus and a lot of teams getting a lot better. The first game, though, had them at home against Villanova, a team that they routinely beat. This year was a little bit different, though, as the wet weather in New York caused a few fumbles, which also caused an injury to Doc Blanchard. But they still both managed to score a touchdown before Blanchard got his heel stuck in the mud and was tackled and was taken out of the game. The final was 35 to nothing, but it could have been a lot worse if the weather was a lot nicer and Blanchard didn't get injured. Blanchard would have x-rays on his leg, and most thought he would be done for the year, but he would dress for the next game, but more on that in a second. The next game was versus Oklahoma, who had Jim Tatum coaching. Also, Oklahoma pretty much used the same offense as Army did. Blake tried something early, as he dressed Blanchard for the game, but instead of using him, he just had him on the sideline to try to cycle Oklahoma out. The ruse didn't really work, as Oklahoma had a really good team, and they managed to recruit many veterans from World War II before the season, and because of that, Oklahoma Oklahoma managed to score first and take a rare lead over Army. That lasted until about a minute before the half, as Army was passing a lot more to try to confuse Oklahoma, and it finally worked, as Tucker threw a 46-yard touchdown to Davis. Army would struggle to get anything going without Blanchard in this game, but after a blocked punt, they were set up for a short drive that was capped by a short run by their backup running back, Ugg Fusun. Oklahoma had two drives to tie this game as they made it to the Army three-yard line, but they were then intercepted by 
by Arnold Tucker, who took it back for a fourth quarter touchdown to seal this game 21-7. Army was going for their 20th straight win as they would have their third straight game at home, this time versus Cornell. Cornell was being coached by Ed McKeever, who knew Army quite well as he filled in as the Notre Dame coach in 1944 when Army wiped the floor with Notre Dame by over 50 points. Within a minute, Glenn Davis scored on a 64-yard run. Cornell would be able to eventually tie the game in the first quarter and hold that tie to the second quarter, but as the game went on, Davis would score three more touchdowns on two rushing touchdowns and one on a lateral after a pass. Davis was taken out when Army had a 39-7 lead, but Cornell got to within 39-21 in the fourth quarter before Army would score one final touchdown, and the final was 46-21. Davis, of course, starred in this game with four touchdowns, and since Blanchard didn't play, Army had to pass the ball a little bit more. Like I've been mentioning, they've been doing it a lot more in the 1946 season. So that set up another great player on their team, quarterback Arnold Tucker, who was also a great runner, but he was also really good on kick and punt returns, and he had a 79-yard kickoff return and a 78-yard punt return in this game. Up next, though, Army would have to venture not only outside of the Northeast, but they would have to go to the Midwest, as they would go to Ann Arbor to play Michigan. And Michigan was probably the closest team to have beaten Army last year, or at least at all over this streak. And since it was at home, it was a bigger help to Michigan. Michigan was coming into this game 2-0. They were ranked number four after shutting out Indiana and squeaking by Iowa. Army had never traveled to Michigan, with their farthest game west being in 1934 when they went to Illinois. And this game was on campus in the big house in front of 85,000 fans. But even though Army had their first real road test, they would play Blanchard for the first time since week one, so they would have a little bit of an advantage here. Michigan would score first, but before the first quarter was over, Davis would tie the game at seven with a 58-yard touchdown run. Michigan had Army's number for the rest of the first half and most of the second half, as their players from last year had the experience and were also bigger to stand up to Army's offense and defense. Along with that, Army had a pretty big injury in this game as their quarterback Arnold Tucker was down, but don't worry, Glenn Davis just took over for him and shined as he completed a big 45-yard pass to Blanchard and then threw a short touchdown pass after that to take the 13-7 lead for Army. Michigan would score a touchdown just before the half and block the extra point to keep it a tie at half. The second half, though, was brutal with both teams not being able to score until the fourth quarter when Army drove 76 yards on 11 plays and Blanchard punched it in for a touchdown and Army would kick the extra point to make it 20-13. The rest of the fourth quarter had Michigan on two long drives into the Army zone with their closest chance coming with a minute left as Michigan was on the Army 10-yard line. Michigan was throwing more to conserve time, but then they threw it into the end zone and was intercepted by a returning Arnold Tucker to conserve the 20-13 win for Army. This game was pretty unusual for Army because they were walking a tightrope all game and they had to use their passing game a lot more. Glenn Davis was 7-for-8 in this game with 168 yards and one touchdown, plus Arnold Tucker threw for 43 yards, and Army had their first 200-yard passing date during the streak. Davis would end this game with two total touchdowns and over 230 yards of total offense. Army would now return home to play the 3-0 Columbia Lions, and they were led by a great passing game with a future NFL player in Bill Swiecki. 25,000 fans would show up to see a masterclass by Blanchard, who was back at full strength after an injury in Week 1, as he would score four touchdowns in this game. He ran for three touchdowns and returned a kickoff return for 92 yards, doing all of this before the start of the fourth quarter, while Davis had one touchdown, but it was a big six 66-yard touchdown run. Blanchard and Davis would make the game 28-0 by half, and then it was 35-0 before Columbia scored, but Blanchard's final touchdown, the kickoff return, sealed the 48-14 win. Duke was up next, and they would meet at the Polo Grounds before 59,000 fans as Army looked for their 24th straight win. The game was a weird one for Army because Duke had a great line that beat down Blanchard and Davis all game, so they just barely had over 100 yards rushing for the game. Blanchard had 22 yards rushing on 21 carries, 
while Davis had 70 yards rushing. Army instead used their passing game as Arnold Tucker threw for three touchdowns, with two touchdowns going to Davis, giving Davis his 55th touchdown of his college career. The defense allowed Duke nothing, and Army had their first shutout in over a month, winning 19 to nothing. Army's winning ways would keep going as they came home for a game versus West Virginia, and it would be a big one as future president, but now general, Dwight D. Eisenhower was in attendance for this game. But it wasn't big enough for Coach Blake to show up as he was out scouting the Navy Notre Dame game, leaving Andy Gustafson to coach for the third year in a row. The defense was the star in this game as they stopped six West Virginia drives that got into the Army end, while the offense eventually scored for them. The scoring would happen from the passing game again as Arnold Tucker threw two touchdowns, one to Davis, while Blanchard pitched in the third touchdown to give Army the 19-0 win and set them up for a big matchup versus Notre Dame. A new year and a new game that would be called the Game of the Century in 1946. It was the Army-Notre Dame game. That was due to Notre Dame coming into this game drastically different from the year before. That was due to the war now officially being over, so Johnny Lujak would return to the starting lineup for Notre Dame. He was a big part of that 1943 national championship team. Along with that, they got a really good transfer in George Connor, who would win the Outland Trophy later in the year, and they would get their legendary coach Frank Leahy back after he served in World War II. And he came back to coach this team to a 5-0 record where they scored over four touchdowns a game and the previous week destroyed Navy. The game was being played at Yankee Stadium, and of course there was a big crowd there. 75,000 was in attendance. The game was between two great defenses too, so scoring was tough, with Army getting to the Notre Dame 15 but not being able to score, and Blake's thinking that field goals were useless, instead went for it and didn't get it. The second quarter was very exciting too, as Notre Dame traveled on an 88-yard drive. They got all the way to the Army 4-yard line. The Army defense only allowed Notre Dame to get 2 yards on 4 plays, and Notre Dame didn't go for a field goal, so it was 0-0 zero zero at half. After the half, the most famous play of the game would happen as Army handed it off to Blanchard, who finally broke through the Notre Dame line and raced into the open field. He was past the 50 now, and he got to the Notre Dame 37-yard line before Johnny Lujak made the game-saving tackle in the open field to save what would definitely be a touchdown. It was the only time many in attendance had ever seen anyone tackling Blanchard in the open field. The only person to do that was Glenn Davis, and it was in practice. After that happened, the crowd was in it, and then when future Notre Dame coach Terry Brennan intercepted Army near the goal line to stop the drive, it got even bigger. Army would then get closer in the fourth quarter, but got intercepted to end the drive. Neither team could score, but they did have a lot of chances, and the game ended in a 0-0 tie. It would end Army's winning streak at 25 games, but now they were unbeaten in 26 straight games, so the streak will continue. Blanchard and Davis were held to 50 and 30 yards rushing respectively, and Notre Dame actually outgained Army in the game in rushing and total yardage. The game was a great game, but it didn't have the outcome that most people wanted due to there not being any scoring and also there not being overtime yet. But with the tie, Army would be number one as they went to Philly to play Penn. Penn was ranked in the top five. They were five and one. They were scoring at least five touchdowns in each of their wins, so they were still really good. Penn was bringing back all of their war veterans from the previous year. Like I mentioned, Chuck Ben Derrick was still there. So they were thinking that they could hang in this game with Army. And it definitely showed in the first quarter as Army couldn't score and Blanchard and Davis were in check. But once the second quarter started, Davis would score twice on passes from Tucker. And then in the third quarter, Davis was responsible for the third touchdown after lateraling it to another end for another touchdown to make it 20 to nothing. Blanchard would finally get in the end zone for his only touchdown. Davis would then sustain an injury as he got a knee to the head halfway through the game, so he missed a quarter or two, but still managed to throw another touchdown pass in the fourth quarter when he came back to give them a 34-7 win. Even though Penn scored, it was on a blocked punt, and Penn only had 10 first downs in the game. So Army was rolling now, they were back to their dominating ways after that tie with Notre Dame, and they were heading to Philly to play Navy. Navy was coming into this game the opposite of what they were last year. They were 1-7 coming into this game after winning their first game 7-0 over Nova, and then losing their next 7. 
but not really losing terribly as they were within one possession in four of those losses. A hundred thousand people would show up to this game again, as did the president, but many were thinking it was going to be a blowout as Army was favored by four touchdowns. Navy would prove that even though they were 1-7, in, in rivalry games, anything could happen. And Navy was proving that as they got in the Army zone twice, but they just couldn't get any points. Then Army would finally score first after Davis caught a 46-yard pass and then got a pitch out for a 13-yard score. Navy wasn't giving up though as they would score a touchdown on the next drive, missing the extra point so they were down by one. But immediately after that, Army would respond as Blanchard got a 52-yard touchdown run to make it 14-6. Finally, after getting the ball back on a Bill Yeoman interception, Davis would throw a touchdown pass to Blanchard to make it 21-6. The last touchdown was significant as it was the fifth and final touchdown, though, that Blanchard and Davis were able to share together. More on that in just a moment. Being down 21-6, Navy would score, but not able to convert on a two-point conversion, and then Blanchard Blake made the error of going for it on his own 35-yard line instead of punting it and making Navy go for another long field. Instead, they gave Navy another short field. They took advantage, scoring a touchdown, but again not being able to get any extra points, so it was now 21-18 late in the game. Blake and the Army squad weren't able to end it just yet, as Navy got one more chance and there was less than a minute to go. It was first and goal on the Army Ford yard line now, and there were seconds to go. If Navy got in the end zone, it would be a huge upset, but Navy wouldn't be able to go anywhere on first and second down and then be called for a penalty to set them back to the eight-yard line. Navy had one more play with a second to go, but were stopped at the one-foot line by Barry Poole, and Army got their ninth victory of the year and were now unbeaten in 28 straight games so again, rivalry games are tough, and it really got to Army in this one. But after the season, the AP poll, which was the most respected poll at that time, picked Notre Dame as the number one team, and Army as number two. But Army was picked number one by a few, but Notre Dame is usually recognized as the national champion this year. The reason for Notre Dame jumping over Army, though, was because Notre Dame was more dominant in their last games. Plus, they also had five shutouts to Army's four. That was counting the 0-0 tie on each other. But before we get to the 1947 season, Glenn Davis would finally get the Heisman Trophy that he probably should have gotten a couple of years ago. As he had over 1,000 scrimmage yards this season, he had 13 touchdowns, 7 rushing touchdowns, 6 receiving touchdowns, 4 touchdown passes with almost 400 passing yards. And these touchdowns would give him 59 total touchdowns over 3 seasons at Army with 43 rushing touchdowns, 14 receiving, two on punt return, as well as passing for over 850 yards and five touchdowns total. Davis, of course, also has the record that is currently standing and, like I mentioned, probably won't get broken as he has 11.5 yards per carry in 1944 and also has an 8.5 yards per carry over his Army career. Davis was so good on defense, too, as he also had 14 interceptions and, of course, scored a couple of times on defense. But Glenn Davis would graduate with his Heisman Trophy in June of 1947 and was sought by all pro teams and leagues but couldn't go as he had to serve his three years. He was offered $75,000 by the All-American Football Conference's Brooklyn Dodgers and was drafted by the Lions in the 1947 draft but didn't go. Davis did serve until 1950, mostly in Korea. He would eventually, though, make it to the NFL in the 1950 season with the LA Rams, making it to the 1950 Pro Bowl, but he would get injured the next year, eventually retiring from football in 1953. Davis was trying to leave the service early as he asked to leave several times to play professionally but was denied. He did end up making some money while serving as he did film the Spirit of West Point movie with Blanchard, for which both of them made $25,000. It came out in October of 1947. I'll mention that in just a little bit. Doc Blanchard, though, also graduated in June of 1947. He scored 38 touchdowns in his career, 26 rushing, 7 receiving, and 4 on interception returns, plus 1 on a kickoff return. Blanchard would have over 2,000 total scrimmage yards throughout his three years, but he was injured a few games in 1946, remember that, uh, getting a majority of his touchdowns and yards in his Heisman-winning 1945 season. Blanchard was drafted third overall by the Steelers in 1946, 
1946, but he couldn't get furloughed by the Army to play with them in 1947. He didn't try too much for football after that, and instead, he had a long career in the Air Force and flew over 100 missions during the Vietnam War. Along with the Heisman winners leaving, Barney Poole, Arnold Tucker, and Hank Foldberg were also not going to be on the team in the 1947 season. Due to those losses, Blake had to use a bunch of new guys on offense, and he started the 1947 season with Andy Gustafson's nephew Bill as starting quarterback. He would also use Arnold Galifa, who will be important in their next streak in the next couple of years, which I might talk about in a future episode. Plus, running the ball, he would have a bunch of new runners, as he would use Elwin Rowan and Winfield Scott. On the line, they would luckily still have Bill Yeoman and Joe Steffi back, but otherwise they would have a lot of first-time starters. All right, but let's kick off the 1947 season now. Army's on a 28-game unbeaten streak, and they're going to be playing Villanova at home. Villanova came in going 6-4 and four the previous season, but the three times Army had played them during the streak, Nova didn't even score a point. And the game started that way, with Army's new-look offense not being able to do much, but also they weren't able to score at all either. After that, Army would just move the ball by running, as Gustafson wasn't the best passer, but he was a pretty good runner, and he would take the ball in for the first score to make it 7 to nothing. And that's how it kept going into the second half, as Army continued to run, but they did manage to get into the end zone using Winfield Scott to make it 13 to nothing. Nova would once again struggle to move the ball, and didn't score for the fourth consecutive time, and Army was at 29 straight unbeaten. Army would stay at home to play a brand new team again. This time it would be Colorado. 21,000 fans would show up to see Army run for 358 yards using 19 ball carriers. Along with all the ball carriers, they also had six touchdown scorers, with Elwin Rowan scoring two touchdowns in a 47 to nothing drumming. This game gave Army 30 games in a row unbeaten. Their defense was great. With Yeoman and Steffi running it, it was the recent that this streak continues. Up next, they would head to New York City to Yankee Stadium, where 65,000 fans would show up to see Army play the undefeated number five ranked Illinois. And the game went like the Army-Notre Dame game from last year, as Army couldn't score and didn't really get close to the end zone except for one time late in the fourth quarter. Otherwise, they struggled to move the ball, and everyone was thinking the streak could end here. Illinois had their best chance as they were lined up for a 30-yard field goal before halftime, but the kick sailed right, and it stayed 0-0 at half. Army's passing game did nothing, with four incompletions, and relied heavily on the rushing attack, which did get 162 yards, which is pretty considerably low. Fortunately, Army's defense fended off Illinois all game, as they got over 200 total yards, but Illinois couldn't score on them, so it ended 0-0 to preserve the unbeaten streak with another tie. After that close call, Army would come back to play VPI, who are now known as Virginia Tech. Army's offense started slow, but it was scoreless until the second quarter when Elwin Rowan would finally score, followed by Scott, and then they got one more before halftime as Army quarterback Galifa threw a touchdown pass, and it was starting to look like he was going to be the quarterback of the future. Army would make the lead bigger as Galifa would score again in the third quarter, and Army would end up scoring six touchdowns and once again not let in a touchdown as they would win 40 to nothing. Army now riding a 32-game unbeaten streak. They are now 3-0-1 on the season, but they would have to travel to New York City. This time, though, they wouldn't be traveling to a neutral site like the Polo Grounds or Yankee Stadium. They would actually be traveling to a college stadium. They would be going to Baker Field to play Columbia. Army dominated Columbia last year, but Columbia scored 14 points on the great Army team and were bringing back a lot of their team, as well as their great pass catcher, Bill Swiaki. Army would score first as Galifa snuck in to make it 7-0, and in the second quarter, they added to that with a Rowan touchdown run, and it was 13-0, and the game was starting to look like it was going to fall apart for Columbia. But then they eventually scored on the next possession, but with seconds left in the half, Elwin Rowan would push in another Army touchdown to make their lead 20-7. 
The battle went back and forth in the third quarter, but no one could score. Starting in the fourth quarter, though, Columbia started to go all for it. They started to pass nonstop, and they kept passing to Bill Swiaki, who eventually got into the end zone with 11 minutes left to make it 20-14. to Then with five minutes left, Columbia would get the ball back, and they would score again to Swiaki again, and they would make the extra point, which was all the difference, because Army couldn't score again, and the final was Columbia 21, Army 20. Army would go 2-1-1 in their final four games, losing to Notre Dame and tying Penn to end the season 5-2-2, but with their final win over Navy, it started another unbeaten streak, which I will be getting to in the future, like I mentioned. But anyway, back to this streak, which was over at 32, but it was one of the most popular and legendary unbeaten streaks in college football history. During this streak, Army won 30-0-2. They scored 1,299 points, and if they just would have made one extra point in that Columbia game, the streak would have kept going for maybe another week, because they probably would have lost to Notre Dame that year. Almost half of those 1,299 points were scored in that 1944 season when they averaged 56 points a game, which is just insane. During the winning streak, this team scored 40-plus points in 17 games, plus they scored 50-plus points in 10 games, six of those being in 1944. The defense, meanwhile, gave up 100... The defense, meanwhile, gave up 182 points over those 32 games, meaning they gave up 5 points per game. They had 17 shutouts. And their best stretch on defense was, surprisingly, the end of their streak, which was the start of the 1947 season, which was when they went 17 straight quarters without giving up a point. But this three-and-a-half-year stretch for Army was fantastic, and it wasn't just Davis and Blanchard, so that's why I wanted to mention a few of the other great players on this team. But if you want to know more about this team, I don't recommend watching the Spirit of West Point movie because it's basically just them chasing girls for about an hour, and then there's maybe 15 minutes or so of football. But I do, however, recommend a book called Mr. Inside and Mr. Outside. It's by Jack Cavanaugh, uh, who also has some great insight into the players. Uh, he he also does some interviews so definitely check out that book also make sure you like this video make sure you share this video if you like it of course make sure you subscribe to this channel please tell people if you like this video share it with your friends and follow me on twitter at sports wronged have a fantastic day keep checking out this channel make sure you subscribe to the channel ring the bell as well so you can figure out when all the uh, new videos are coming out and have a great day guys